morning. As our wiggly worshipers are dismissed, welcome to Trinity. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest today, welcome. I want to say happy Memorial Day. Happy for us, right? But for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, this is a sacred day and a sacred weekend and a sacred holiday. I, um, <clears throat> I'm in the book of Nehemiah this morning, if you want to join me there. If you're joining us online this morning, hopefully uh, we had a few weeks break here. We're back with you this morning. Thank, for, thank you for staying with us. We're glad that you're joining us today, and we want to welcome you as well. <clears throat> We've been in the book of Nehemiah for a couple of weeks. This will be our third, and John has been able to get some rest, I hope, and some vacation and some family time. Uh, It takes you a week to unwind as a pastor, and then it takes you another week to relax, and you never should preach when you come back from vacation. So I'm glad he can have a break this morning, and it's nice that we can share that and that he can be away. And then I'm going to tell you, the next two weeks I'm going to disappear in Floyd County somewhere. So if you call me, I'll be on the back 40, okay? So we all need our time, and so do you. And I know we're in vacation time, and, and uh, we're glad that you can get away and spend some time away. Anybody listen to Ben Shapiro? I've been listening to Ben for a while. <clears throat> I heard him say something this week that is very relevant to our study. We've been studying Old Testament history. We've been studying about the history of the nation of Israel how they were taken captive out of the land according to the prophecy of Jeremiah and Isaiah and others. And they came back to the land, 50,000 or so came under, uh, to, to the land. First they tried under Ezra and Zerubbabel and they had moderate success. But then God raised up a man named Nehemiah. And we've been studying his life and how God worked in Nehemiah's life. And the study that uh, I have call this brief series Faith in Action because Nehemiah had to act. God called him to do something that God chose him to do and he acted upon that. So faith in action. But I heard Ben Shapiro say this. There are some 57 or 58 Islamic nations in the world. I didn't realize that. I don't know if you did. So I did a little research, and sure enough, there's some 57 or 58 nations who would call themselves under Islamic rule or influence. He went on to say that there are about 100 nations that would claim some kind of connection with Christianity, that either their foundation or their influence was heavily Christian. And then he said something that got my attention. There's only one Jewish nation. That's quite a perspective. And all they want is to be left alone. Let us live. Let us thrive. Let us enjoy the land that they came back to in 1948. They're not trying to to be aggressive, they're not trying to, to, uh, to 
reach into lands. They just want to be left alone. And when Hamas is lobbing rockets over into their land, they must defend themselves. That's the number one job of government, is to defend its people and defend its borders. So that's what Israel is doing, and they have the right... For 25 centuries, they've been trying to survive. They have turned to God and turned away from God, and turned to God and turned away from God. Now, America is not Israel. God has a specific plan for Israel. It's kind of set them to the side. They really set themselves to the side when they rejected Messiah, but God's going to come back to his work with Israel. But we've been looking at the history. We've seen them turn to God, turn away from God. Turn to God, receive his blessing. Turn away from God and receive judgment. But then God calls a man named Nehemiah, an unlikely candidate to be a leader of returning to the land. And he's confronted with the situation. He ran into a couple of his brethren. I've been... If you've been here for the other messages or you've heard them, you know the story. He was confronted with the desolation in his nation. The the walls were burned. The temple was decimated. The people were scattered. A few had come back, but they couldn't defend themselves. And they were just struggling and being harassed and being made fun of. But there's a man in a high place named Nehemiah. He's the king's cupbearer. King Artaxerxes was the Persian king and God had placed a man named Nehemiah in a strategic place and Nehemiah is confronted with the situation and then he has a decision to make. Does he care about his nation? And I've asked you that question. Do we care about our nation? Do we care about the church? In our nation. The church has been hurt by the last year of stuff. We've we've told you that. We we keep saying that. It's because it's not only Trinity Church, it's the church. Ministries shut down and now trying to come back online and, and more more need in our nation than ever of hurting people who may be ready to hear the gospel. What are we going to do, church? What are we going to do? Nehemiah cared enough to ask and pray and fast and weep, but then he volunteered. He said, okay, Lord, I'm the man. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, last week we looked at leadership. And we discovered that everything rises and falls with leadership. That's true in any sector. Everything rises with good leadership. Everything falls with poor leadership. That's just a principle that is across many areas. That's true in business, that's true in education, it's true everywhere, but it's no more true than in God's church. And if you were here last week, I hope you heard me loud and clear. The leadership of Trinity Church is not here to see us struggle and fail. We are here to see this church thrive. That is our heart. That is what we've been praying for. That is what 
we want to see accomplished. How does that get accomplished? Well, we can't do it alone. It takes volunteers. And we talked about last week how the church thrives. And here's how the church thrives. Each one of us, each one of us, that's 100%. Now, we talk about sometimes that 20% of people in the church do 80% of the work. I hope it's better than that here, but that's kind of the rule of thumb. 20% do 80%. We don't need 20%. We don't need 80%. We need 100%. Asking, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? I, I care enough to ask, and we talked about weeping over people and over our nation and over our church. Are we that moved to weep and to, to fast and pray? But most of all, to volunteer. You know, Nehemiah could have done all that emotional stuff and never done anything about it, and nothing would have been accomplished. But he didn't. And when he went to the people and said, we want to go back to the land. Who's ready to go? 50,000 said we're ready. We're ready to go back. How, do, how does God's work thrive? Well, there has to be a desire to work. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. That's why so few people are willing to demand something of you. How do we see the work thrive. There has to be unity in the work. There has to be ownership in the work. Pride in the work. Remember, Nehemiah put every man building the wall in front of his house because it needed to be strong to protect his family. And if his name was on the mailbox, he wanted it to look as good as it could look because it represented his name. Brilliant strategy. Sharing in the work, fellowship in the work, satisfaction. There's nothing greater than serving in the work of God. And God wants us all to serve. You've been here a week or you've been here a year, or you've been here twenty. God wants you to get involved and there's a place for you to serve. And there's a place that he's called you to. And we will help you. If you'll say what Nehemiah said, what can I do? Well, when everyone did their part, here's what happened. Nehemiah 6.15 so the wall was finished in 20 uh, I'm sorry. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. That's amazing. How did that happen? It happened because God wanted it to happen. Nehemiah could not have done this with that. He keeps saying over and over, the good hand of God was upon me. The good hand of God was upon me. God Desired this to happen. He laid it on my heart. And I stood up and took the lead. And God blessed. And I did my homework. And I went for months fasting and praying and planning. Gathering the materials so that when we had the volunteers, we were ready. And the wall was built in 52 days. Imagine that. 52 days. That's what God can do. But He wants to do it through people. I'm in chapter 8 this morning. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? You'll understand why as we read. Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law which Mo- of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathai and Shema, Anani, Urijah, Hilkiah, and um, Massa, and at his left hand Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. God goes to great detail to tell the men that were standing with him that day. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up like you're doing this morning in honor of the Word of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Masai, Kelita, Azariah, Joshabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand. These were men in the assembly that probably broke them into small groups and said, Do you understand what you are hearing? Do you understand? They helped them to understand. Five times, Nehemiah says, they understood. And the people stood in their place. So they read verse 8 distinctly from the book and the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was now the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you want a verse for 2021, right there it is. The joy of the Lord should be our strength as it was there. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. You may be seated. Thank you. Imagine hearing the Word of God for the first time as an adult. Can you imagine that? Most of us can't. We can't imagine hearing the Word of God for the first time as an adult. Um, I had a memorial service this week. I was sharing with the early group for a dear friend of mine, 
Chris Strange. Chris and Lynn Strange were sent to the Philippines from Calvary Baptist Church in Radford. They went to a tribe called the Banwaon on the island of Mindanao. If you're familiar with the Philippines, some 7,000 islands, 2,000 inhabited. The, the island of Mindanao is where there is a lot of Muslim control. That's where Chris and Lynn were. They had some scary times. You may have heard of Gracia Burnham, uh, Martin and Gracia Burnham, and Martin was killed after he was taken captive by rebels. So we, we um, got to go there and meet the Banwaon, but what I wanted to tell you is that some 30 years ago, none of them had ever heard the Word of God. Ever. Can you imagine? Never hearing the Word of God. And new tribes sent missionaries, they sent an Aussie couple there, uh, to, to translate their dialect, first of all. Their, their language wasn't even written down. And they, they translated their dialect, and then they began to translate the Word of God. And after a while, they were able to get enough done that they could begin to share the chronological story of the Bible. And new tribes has a great approach. Months of teaching... They take one lesson at a time. They start with creation. The next lesson is on sin and the fall of man. And then they begin to reveal that Messiah will come and the Savior is coming. They do this over months. They do one lesson at a time. And they come to the birth of Christ. And they come to the Messiah coming. And then when Messiah is put to death, they weep. Here was the Messiah, the Savior that the people were expecting. And when He comes, they put Him to death. By the way, we're going to have to start teaching the Bible like this in America because people don't have a clue about this book anymore. We've got to start all over. We've got to start at creation. And then we have to talk about sin and the Savior and the need for a Savior. And, the Savior. and often when they learn about the resurrection, that Christ died, but He arose again. They all believe at once. There are videos that are amazing of an entire village believing at one time on Christ and who He is when they hear the, the gospel and the resurrection especially. Now think about this. 30 years ago, none of these people had ever heard the Word of God. They lived in nomadically they lived a family here a family there satan had tremendous control over these people and he still does in many parts of the world because they're isolated and they're afraid they live in fear they have all these superstitions that keep them in fear they know nothing of the god of the bible but when they hear they often believe in big groups that's what happened with the banwaon when they believed, they moved into a village, they, they built a village, and they built a church. Just a simple open-air building with a roof over it to protect them from the downpours that come in the jungle. I've been in them. You think you've seen it rain. You've heard of pouring water out of a bucket? That's a, that's a, a, a jungle downpour. And when we were there, we were able to go worship with the Banwaon. One of the highlights of my life. They would teach and we would listen. The missionary would translate. We would teach and preach 
and they would listen. We would sing and they would listen. They would sing, the missionary would translate and we would listen. It was the sweetest time of worship I've ever experienced in my entire life. We were sitting on the floor. Imagine if we took all the chairs out this morning and you were sitting on this, there's concrete under this carpet. Imagine if you were sitting on the floor while people taught and preached and sang. Now this went on for three hours. Three hours. No one left. Everyone was engaged. And it seemed to me like 15 minutes. You ever heard a message where it was over and you thought, that was too fast? Don't answer that, okay? Maybe one of John's messages you've heard and you thought, man, that, that, I need to hear that again. That just went too fast. That's the way this worship was. And we, we had one instrument, a recorder. Yeah, people do really use those. One of our guys played the recorder and we sang Amazing Grace. They had never heard Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. When they heard those words, the tears flowed. They flowed. They'd never heard those words. How many times have we heard those words? And we sing them, but they're common to us. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. They were so moved by that song, they just wept and wept and wept. And I began to realize why preachers leave America and go to the mission field. Because they were hungry for the Word. They wanted it. They couldn't get enough. Hours, it didn't matter. They were like the people of Nehemiah's day. You know how long they listened to the word? Five, six hours. They stood. Five or six hours. When it got close to lunchtime, there was no jingling of chariot keys. There was no... And my favorite in the church where I grew up, At 12 o'clock, this lady used to take her fingernail clippers out and begin to clip her fingernails. Honest. I'm just a kid. I'll never forget that. Amazing things that impact you. They were there for the duration. They couldn't get enough. Imagine hearing the Word of God for the first time as an adult. I can't imagine that. I've heard the Word of God all my life. Haven't you, most of you? We read to our children before they were born because we wanted them to hear our voice and we wanted the first thing they heard to be the Word of God. Dads, have your kids ever heard the Word of God from your lips? Now I tell you that not to condemn. I tell you that to challenge you. You know, if it's precious, if it's valuable... If it means something to us, it has priority. It had priority in their lives because it had been so long since they had heard it. They didn't have a Bible like, they, like we have in our language. Many versions. 
They read from a scroll. One copy. Ezra stood up and he read the word from the scroll. He read from the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. We call it the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he read and he read and he read and then I think they would stop and they would break up and they would explain it and see if everybody understood and then they'd go some more. And until every adult understood what God was saying. Now, here's a, a, just a little message before the message. How can I get more from God's Word? People often ask. And I'm going to give you the quick notes here, okay? Just a quick list. First of all, read prayerfully. Ask the Spirit of God to lead you when you read. Read thoughtfully. Think about it. You know, don't just, well, I've done my duty. I've read my Bible today. I'm going to pray and go on because that's what I'm supposed to do. Don't do that. Think about it. How does this apply to my life? What was God saying to the people to whom this was written? How can I apply this to my life? What does He want me to do with this? Think about it. Read carefully. Take your time. Don't just, just go through in a hurry and say, well, done my devotions for today. Read repeatedly. Sometimes I read a, a book several times or I read a chapter several times because I find my mind wandering. Does anybody else's mind wander when you're praying or when you're reading? This culture has destroyed our ability to concentrate. A few minutes is, you know, we, we show videos and we put something on the screen and sometimes I want to say, okay, everybody stand up and stretch. Are you with us? We'll go on some more. Maybe we need to start doing that. I don't know. But they, uh, they read um, extensively. They, they continued to read. They read regularly. Uh, that's a good way to get more out of the Word. Have a place and time that you read each day. Maybe it's with a cup of coffee. Maybe it's with a bowl of ice cream. I don't know. Whatever it takes to motivate you to read. Read faithfully. We all have gaps. And we stop. We have good intentions. First of the year we get a Bible reading program. We begin to read. And somehow we, we, we fail. Don't feel guilty. Get back to it. Be faithful. And most of all, this is how we get more from God's Word. Read obediently. Read thinking, how can I put this to practice? And don't, don't read the Bible to question whether this is uh, contradictory or not. There are a few minor things in the Bible, but God wrote the Bible. It one, has one author. It's His Word. Don't get distracted on all the trivial things. Some people you know, always have a question about all these uh, peripheral things, and that's okay sometimes, but read thinking, how can I obey what God says? That way you'll get more from your Bible reading. Which version? One you'll read and understand. If you want to ask me privately, I can give you more detail. But just get a Bible version within reason that you understand and that you will read and can put into practice. So, that's how to get more from God's Word and how to respond to it. Now, <clears throat> they've come into... The, the, uh, the, the city. The walls are rebuilt so they can now protect themselves 
And God has gotten that much accomplished and the physical work of the walls are done. Now God turns to the spiritual work of the hearts of the people. He turns to uh, what He really wants to accomplish. You know, the, the building and the walls, God doesn't dwell there. He dwells in the hearts of people. When we come together, God meets with us here. We, we have an adequate building and we come here to meet. We want it to be more attractive. We've talked about that. We, we want to do some updates and continue to improve. But what is important is what God's doing in our hearts and what God's doing in people. And he turns back to people here. And so they say to Ezra, Ezra, bring us the book. Bring us the book. Read to us from the book, the book of the law. And hopefully this morning, and on every Sunday morning, you don't come just to hear our words. Our our words are frail and weak. You come to hear the word from the book. As they came to hear Ezra read that day, Ezra brought the book. And again, he started early in the morning, and he read until noon. Hours and hours. And they were spellbound by the book. What's so common to us had them spellbound. They were on the edge of their seats, as it were. They couldn't hear enough. They, they wanted to hear more. And they listened because God was speaking. Ezra opened the book. By the way, uh, you, you ever heard, a, again, a message that went by quickly and you thought, too fast, or maybe you've heard one you thought would never end. Maybe you've heard a lot you thought would never end. The old country preacher, Vance Havner, used to say, I've never heard a message I couldn't get something from. I've had some close calls, (laughs) but I always get something. When we come and look at the text in the book, we get something from God. Now, he preached, and they listened. And he preached some more. And they listened and they taught. And they said, do you understand? And in verse 8, we see a method of delivering the Word of God that we try to imitate as preachers today if we've been taught skills in preaching and how to present the Word. And it's not about the, the preacher. It's about the Word. You preach the text. You let the text speak. You don't try to improve on the text. Maybe we can illustrate it. We hope to apply it. But if you notice, they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, verse 8, and they gave the sense, they expounded on what this meant, cultural context, what it meant to the people that, uh, to whom it was originally written, how it applies to our lives. It's it's all uh, uh, for us, but not necessarily to us, but we can apply especially the Old Testament. But we let the text speak. We don't try to add to it. They gave the sense. They helped them to understand the reading. And when the people heard the word, here's what they said. Amen! Amen! That means we agree. So be it. Give us some more. This would be a really good place for an amen, by the way. They were responding to what God was saying. And they were responding to the one who was reading. And they raised their hands. Now, if 
if you've been in a Baptist church all your life and you didn't know this was in the Bible, I want to show it to you. Look at verse number 6. Ezra, bless the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. God leads you to lift your hands to Him, you lift them. In fact, we need more of that in this church. We're just a little bit dead. I'll just be honest. So let it go. If God moves you, raise your hands. Give praise to Him. When they heard the word, they were so moved that they responded. And they responded in several different ways. Now, when we were in the tribe in the Philippines, we watched the people respond. It was amazing. First generation believers. Everybody wants to minister to first generation believers. By the way, after only 20 years, they were already concerned that the next generation was taking for granted what they never had. Isn't that human nature? What generation are we? Look at our nation. We're slipping. We're not slipping. We're sliding. We failed to hand down the Word of God to the next generation and the next generation. We've tried to make them do it like we've done it. And if there's no interest, they go somewhere and they're going by the thousands, the, the millions. They're, they're leaving. People who have... I meet students all the time in restaurants and I said, can we pray for you? And they say, yes. And, and I say, did you grow up in church? Yes. How long has it been since you've been to church? Uh, three years. Four years. Ever since I came to college, I quit going to church. That's a shame. We don't want that. We want you to, to have ownership. This is your church. This is our church. We want you to, to worship and be involved in a way that you want to serve and worship and that draws you to God. We haven't done a very good job of that in the past. But we want to. So, they responded to the Word. How did they respond? Several ways. First of all, they responded intellectually. When you come, that's why it's good to have a copy or somehow to have an electronic copy, whatever you prefer. I, I ask you for this series to bring your physical copy of the Word of God because Facebook can't censor this. And Google can't cancel this as long as you've got it in your hand. What if your phone quits working and that's the only copy of the Bible you have? I know you have another copy. But the physical copy of the Word, they read from that scroll. And then they responded. They responded, first of all, intellectually. Did you know that God gave you a mind with which to think about His Word? And He gave you the mind to be able to understand His Word when your heart is following Him and you know Him personally. You should understand what you hear. But that's a process. Intellectually. They responded with their mind. They listened. They obviously were moved by what they heard because they responded. Amen. Amen. Say it again. Say some more. Give us some more. They understood. Five times, Nehemiah says, the people understood. What a shame that most preaching 
does not help people understand. That's our fault. That's our fault. If we don't preach the Word of God in such a way that you can grasp it and understand it and take it home with you and use it in your life during the week, we have failed. And we work very hard at doing that. There are notes, there are challenges. Study some more on your own. Use your mind, engage your mind. That's why your mind wanders. It's not wanders. It's not engaged in what you're reading and what you're hearing. God gave us a mind with which to understand His Word. But that's not enough. See, the, the natural man cannot understand the Word. There has to be a change in him before he can fully understand the Word. That change is brought about at salvation. When we receive Christ as our Savior and our heart is changed, then the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, moves into us to reside as our resident teacher. And then He begins begins to take our minds and our heart and the Word of God and on a regular basis as we read it and we understand it and we apply ourselves to it, we begin to understand. And we began to be moved by what we read. The, the band Wa'om were moved by what they heard. I'll never forget that. When they heard it, they were moved by it. Let me ask you, were you moved by the playing of taps earlier? I'm always moved when I hear that. That's because I'm responding emotionally to what I hear. God made us emotional beings. He wants us to respond. He wants us to be moved by what we hear. He wants our hearts to be changed. And we're changed from the inside out, not the outside in. When the Word of God begins to move in us, and the Spirit of God begins to apply it, then we are changed. Truth in the inward parts expresses itself outwardly. Now, when they heard the Word that day, they were moved. How do we know? They came back the next day. They came back the next day. They came back for seven days, morning until evening, because their hearts were moved by what they heard. Now, quite frankly, we should be more emotional in our worship. I'm not saying we're going to force you to do that. I've been in situations where... You know, they try to make you stand and do all this stuff. And, but if God does it, why should we not express what we feel and what we... God made us emo, emotional for a reason. But be careful. Be careful because emotional response alone can be dangerous. You know, you can be emotional and not know what you're emotional about. You ever just woke up one day, you just feel emotional. You're not sure what you're emotional about, but uh, when, when we hear God's Word and we're moved by it, there, there should be some emotion there. We should respond the way God made us emotionally. There should be some moving in our hearts. When I, when I was a boy, we, had, we always had revivals. And I'd go to revival and... And I'd hear the gospel. And one time I responded. I was so moved emotionally. I went forward at the altar call. And I got down on my knees. And 
I didn't know what to do. And no one ever came and, and opened the book and said, here's, here's what you need to believe. Here's the gospel. And so for years, I struggled with assurance of salvation. No wonder. I didn't understand. I was moved. I was emotional. And over a period of time, many, many years, finally I, I heard about the assurance of salvation and I heard a passage from this Word and it clicked with me. That's what I believed. Now I have the assurance that I need. I was emotional, but it didn't do me any good. Intellect and emotional response. You can do all that and not have a relationship with God. Because there has to also be a volitional response. That word volition means a willful response. You have to respond to God with your will. All the intellect and all the emotion in the world will not change your life if you do not act on what you have heard and felt. And when the Word of God comes to us and we learn that we are sinners, we learn that we are separated from God, but we, and that's the bad news, but then we hear the good news. God didn't leave us there. He, he gave His Son. His Son died in our place. And He was raised from the dead the third day for our sins. And we began to put it all together and realize that is the minimum that I must believe in order to be a Christian. That Christ did that. For me, I'm going to act on what I've heard. I want Christ to come into my life and change me. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a believer. That's how God works in His Word, intellectually, emotionally. But if there's not a change of the will, you're not changed at all. You can't change yourself. You can't mentally decide you're going to turn over a new leaf you must respond to the Word of God and you must surrender your will to His. Now, do we understand all that when we're saved? Probably not. But there has to be a change in us, folks. God has to do the changing. And over time, we, we understand uh, all the details. But if we do not submit our will to God and put in action what we are moved to do, there's no change. Nehemiah acted. Ezra read the word. The people heard it. They acted on what they heard. They put their faith into action. Now, we know they were changed because of what happened next, and I don't have time to go into it, but for 50, 70 years, there were portions of the Word of God that they had not heard, if, if they had heard it at all, and they realized, you know, there are feasts that, are, that God wants us to keep. There are religious ceremonies, and not just ceremonies, they're meaningful things that God gave us as Jewish people. So they began to search, and they began to teach them about the feasts, and they went into the, immediately into a time of one of these feasts, and for seven days they met. And for seven days, Ezra read the Word and they explained it. And they were, their hearts were changed. And they were changed forever because the Word of God spoke. 
we're in great need of refreshing and revival in America. You know where that begins? It begins right here with the church. You know where that begins? It begins in my heart and your heart. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist. He, he preached revivals and lots of people responded. And they asked him one time, after a great time of revival, do you think revivals last? He said, no, but neither does a bath. But we all need one from time to time. Interesting way to think about it. The church needs a bath. That means we all need a bath from time to time. A time of looking at God's Word and looking at my life and saying, do I see what I read and what I hear in my life? Is there repentance? Is there a confession of sin? Is it a short time of confession that God brings it to my mind and I can't wait to get it right with Him? Or does it go on for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months? One of the dangers of being away from the public gathering and the preaching of God's Word. There's no cleansing. There's no challenge. There's no, this is what God says, what are you going to do about it? What's God telling you to do? And what are you going to do? The Word of God is precious. We've taken it for granted in America for too long. You know what we need to do? We need to quit watching politics and all the stuff that distracts us and get back into the book and see what God says. Like Ezra did. And Nehemiah did. You know, they, they had political turmoil. They had protesters. They had fake news. They had all the stuff that we have against them as they were trying to do God's work but they couldn't stop God's work because the people looked at the book and said, who is our God and what does He want us to do? We're willing to do it. And look what God accomplished. Church, the Word's precious. It's powerful. It's all we have. We sang that song. All we have. But it's all we need. Take the Word of God, share it with people. Pray over it. Our time is short. Our time is short. We have very little time to, to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Are we going to walk out that door unmoved and never give it another thought? I hope not. I hope this short series impacts us as a church. And we say together, what would God have us to do? The Word of God is life-changing. It's changed my life. How about yours? The Word of God is life-changing. Amen. Amen. The Word of God has changed my life. Amen. You can raise your hands if you want to. The Word of God is what we need and what we need here at this church and we need to act on it. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're frail. We're weak. We're distracted.
worse than that. We're self-absorbed. This year, if nothing else, has caused us to be so self-absorbed, worried about ourselves, that we've forgotten everything else. God help us. I wouldn't be much of a preacher, Lord, if I didn't remind us that eternity is coming. Not only are we going to give account for our lives, but we're going to be rewarded by how we've been faithful to you. That challenges me, and I hope it challenges all of us this morning. May we give our lives to your work, the rest of what we have, the days that we have, May we reprioritize our lives around the Word and around the God of the Word and around the work of the God of the Word and may we go forward together for your glory. And may many come to know the truth in a day when we so desperately need it. In Jesus' name, Amen.